The reading is taken from chapter 55 of Isaiah, verses 1 to 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love, prom promise to David. Hi friends, it is so, so good to be back with you and a massive welcome uh, from here in South Street to wherever you are. I just love the fact that we can stay connected still like this and obviously we're taking steps so we've got, this is our first time of kind of being live in the front uh, and it's just fun and to be honest it's great to be able to be still speaking to you, yes you, uh, in your home. Please don't sneak out quickly to make coffee, I know you're about to hang in there as I think what we're going to look at this morning will do us good. But it's also great to be in the room here at South Street. So there's different individuals around the room and it's an odd one really for me because I love looking at people and so I'm going to have to keep watching that I stay on camera as well as looking at others because it is that what we're going to look at today is for all of us as it will do us good. And I just want to say a huge thank you to Carol for uh, reading so excellently and in a few minutes time we're going to look at those verses from Isaiah chapter 55 that um, Carol read out to us as we continue our series looking at finding joy. Uh, but before we go there, I just wanted to um, make a couple of comments really for us as a family, as a church community, in respect to how we navigate what's announced by the government tomorrow. You see, we know that tomorrow there'll be announcements made that are going to bring a whole mixture of emotions uh, for some of us, we're going to be like, amazing, this is the best news ever, that on the 19th of July, things are finally going forward. For others of us, we're going to be like, what on earth is going on? And we're going to kind of be double locking the front door and thinking, that's it, not going out ever again. Like, there's a whole spectrum of where we're going to be at, and for many of us, we'll be somewhere between those two places. And I just want us to know that how we feel in that moment, how we respond to that news is okay. Like we're all going to hear it differently, and that's okay. See, my concern is, in terms of our culture, is that our society at wide, is we tend to polarize. We tend to polarize of, well, either you're for this or you're against it. And you camp out in either base. And my concern is that in this moment, it brings a moment of it kind of lighting the fire in terms of the increase of polarization and our tolerance of others kind of goes away. And I believe that we as followers of Jesus actually get this moment to shine and show a different way of how we respond. 
I don't encourage you over the coming days to kind of look at how we respond in three ways. Three ways, to be honest, of how we've navigated the last 15, 16 months. The first is this. Let's ensure that we're being those who don't get self-righteous. That's the reality. When we start to think, oh yeah, my conclusion's right, therefore that person's wrong, we start to kind of make that deeper and deeper sense of, I'm good, they're not. And that's what feeds polarization. Rather, can I say, let's wage war on that? Let's say, let's not get to the place of, I'm right, you're wrong. Let's rather kind of seek to be those that say, no, I want to put to death self-righteousness and rather say, I want to look to understand and to listen. Secondly, can I say, let's live as we've always done, as we're always seeking to do. Let's live as we get to enjoy more freedom by seeking to love God and to love people. That's what we've always said we're about. As followers of Jesus, we're those that are liberated to what? To love God and to love people. And this is that moment where we begin to discover more and more of what that looks like. And thirdly, can I encourage us to be those that are seeking to love others by preferring them? For me, this is where like following Jesus, kind of the rubber hits the road, where we get to live as he lived, willing to lay down his life for others. And we get to do the same. We get to be those that are seeking to say, actually, how can I live in a way that does others good? Can I encourage us to be thinking about these things? Can I be encouraging us to use these three ways to navigate uh, these coming days, weeks, and months? But I also want to say a massive thank you. Thank you for kind of going on the journey this last 15 months. Because to be honest, I, I'm not concerned because I just look back and think, man, how we've navigated the last 15 months is with those principles of ensuring we don't become self-righteous, of ensuring that we're loving God and loving people, ensuring that we're preferring others. And so I feel like I, I kind of know that how we're going to respond, how we're going to navigate this next moment will cause Jesus to be more seen, will cause Jesus to be more known. So let's continue to have grace for one another and patience in the journey. And what we'll do is we'll kind of explain kind of next Sunday a little bit more once the guidance has got a bit clearer, kind of how practically it might impact us. But the practicalities are always secondary. The primary is always actually how do we seek to honor God and others? as we navigate these moments. Okay, as I said, we are gonna continue, and I do want us to do that. We've kind of looked at that. I'm hoping that will help us as we navigate uh, this next week or so, but I also want us to get looking again at this series we're in called Finding Joy. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where like, something that has been promised doesn't quite deliver. I don't know, maybe it was an invitation to a restaurant and you've heard about this restaurant and you've been told, oh yeah, the food there is amazing. And you sit down and you begin to eat and you think, it didn't quite deliver. Or maybe there's this sense of you've been building up in your mind, this place that you're going, the experience that you're going to have. And you think, man, I know when we get there, it's just going to be amazing. Like the hype around this has been so good. And then you kind of get to it and you think, oh, is that it? Like, I remember when I got 
what has to be, like the, the, ha the kind of thing you have to have, isn't it? Like this little device with a, a kind of apple with a bite out on the back. And I remember getting an iPhone and it promising that everything changes with this. That was the ad. It was like everything changes with the iPhone. Like that's a pretty bold claim. Everything. Everything changes because of the iPhone. And I remember getting it, and like you get the packaging, and it's like phenomenal. I don't know if you've ever had an Apple product, but they kind of know how to get the senses going. And so you're gently peeling back layers of packaging to kind of reveal the wonder of this item that you've got. I remember switching it on and thinking, man, this is amazing. And then realizing that it, it didn't change everything, to be honest. It, it was pretty good, but it, it didn't change everything. To be honest, it just served a purpose. It's something that occasionally I forget is there, and I leave it lying around the house or in someone else's house. It didn't quite deliver what I was thinking, what I'd been promised. And I wonder if sometimes we feel that way with joy. We feel this promise of something or someone, and that that's going to bring us joy and it doesn't quite. See, Jesus promised us a life of joy. At the moment, I'm using my pause time with Jesus, like daily. Like I pause daily to just think, man, how am I seeking to center more of my life around who you are, Jesus? How am I looking to live more in the good of what you're doing and who you are? And one of the things I'm doing at the moment is I'm slowly reading through John 14 to John 17. Like literally just a few verses. I read the whole thing through and then back and just gradually working through, slowly a few verses at a time. And what I discover through John 14, 17 is just this wonderful picture that you get this eye in, this glimpse in to who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit. But also you get this like no holds barred kind of revelation of what it means to follow Jesus where Jesus doesn't hide what it's going to look like. Like Jesus says, like to follow him will mean sometimes circumstances are tough. It will mean sometimes there's suffering. But he also says, but to follow him will mean a life of joy. Like you discover it in John 15 verse 11 where Jesus says, says this, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. See, the life that Jesus is promising you and I is a life filled with joy. Not any old joy, his joy. So much so that you and I would overflow with that joy. Later on in John 16, verse 22, Jesus then kind of comforts his disciples just before he's about to die by saying, actually, what's going to happen is you're going to know deep sorrow as you see my death. But then through resurrection, you're going to find deep joy. And so it says this in John 16, 22, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. Like Jesus says, hey, this joy that I want to give you, this joy that is me, that I am the joy that I know and I want to put in you that will cause your being to then overflow with joy is a joy that cannot be robbed from you. No one can take it away. Like, that's the joy that we're talking about. And yet, 
I wonder whether the uncomfortable question is this. Do we sometimes wonder, is the promise that Jesus is making of this kind of joy really going to be fulfilled? Like, do we really believe it? Like, to be honest, I think sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think, is it really that good? And I find myself looking to other things to become my source of joy. And it's, it's that that I want us to look at today as we get to look at threats to joy. You see, you and I have things that are continuously seeking to steal our gaze, to promise that they would be the source of our joy. And what I want us to see is that those things will always leave us wanting. See, that's what is going on in Isaiah 55, where we find the prophet Isaiah promising this message of hope. A message of hope that we find kind of revealed from kind of chapter 46, 43 onwards, really. It's just there of this promise that there's going to be a hope that comes, a hope that comes in a person who's a servant and yet a king. A servant king, a servant king who's going to come and die. And in their death is going to deal with all of despair, all of darkness, all of injustice. And this is actually this servant king who dies and deals with that, then comes back to life. And is living in order that he can call others to know and live in the wonder of his rule and reign, his kingdom, his life. A life that is governed by love and justice and filled with joy. And so as this prophet reveals more of what this life looks like, this king is about, he says actually there's an invitation then. An invitation to know the life that this one is able to bring. I see, we have hindsight. We're able to see, oh, who is this servant king that's been spoken of? Oh, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who dies and deals with everything that seeks to destroy, seeks to bring despair, seeks to take away life. Who then through his resurrection comes to bring us what? A life filled with love, justice, and joy. And so the prophet then says, like, therefore will you come? You, everyone, is invited. Yeah, that's you. Just not me, it's, it's me as well, yeah, but it's you. Everyone is invited to come and taste and see and receive the life that Jesus is able to give and the life that he's able to give truly satisfies. But the prophet also says, but you don't have to. You can go and like seek to find and taste and see like other things to satisfy. And the thing is, if you go for those things, you're going to find yourself wanting. So I think what the prophet is trying to get us to see is this uncomfortable question of what are we looking to as our source of joy? That's an uncomfortable question because if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to say, oh, it's Jesus. 
Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're someone who's trying to figure this stuff out and trying to work out, well, where is Jesus? What does Jesus promise? Maybe for you, it actually becomes easier to say, like, what is it that you're looking to as your source of joy? You can think these things. But I wonder, as a follower of Jesus, maybe the uncomfortable question is, yeah, I, I, I want it to be Jesus. But if I'm brutally honest, sometimes it's these things that I'm looking to as my source. And you see, the prophet Isaiah wants us to understand this question because actually if we look to things that are not sourced in Jesus, that aren't ultimately looking to him for our joy, we will always be left wanting. We will never feel truly satisfied. But I think to understand that, we have to understand them. Well, what are the threats to our joy? What are the things that take our focus, our look from Jesus and cause us to look another way to say, maybe there I find this joy that I'm looking for? Like, what's the stuff we're looking to that doesn't and won't satisfy? I often think it kind of falls into three camps for me, and I wonder if it does for you. I think it can fall into the camp of the created. Like the stuff and the things around us, and they're not bad, they're good, and actually you can find joy in them. But subtly we begin to think, well, maybe the food here, that drink there, nature around me. Maybe the joy isn't just to be found there that points me to the source, Jesus, but actually that thing can become the source of my joy. And I I know for me, I have to watch it in terms of nature. Like I do increasingly like getting out into nature. Like one of the things that I love is the fact that I get to go on holiday sometimes. It's like an unbelievable privilege that I get to go on holiday and get to go somewhere away out of the city, though I absolutely love the city. And I get to go out of the city into kind of nature, usually by the sea or by water or in big hills. As I'm there, it's like, it just brings me joy. But the danger is that I start to think, no, that holiday, that time, that moment, that's going to be the thing that brings me joy. Like that becomes the source of joy. Like, maybe it's not creative. I say the second thing is, like, circumstances. That I can find that my joy is determined by everything that's going on around me. And so it's kind of like getting on a roller coaster and watching as my life goes from highs to lows. And in the highs, I'm like, woohoo, this is amazing. And, like, it doesn't necessarily point me to Jesus. I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, this is good. And it rather points me to a place of self-sufficiency of, like, hey, look how I'm acing life and the joy that I am revealing for myself. And then suddenly I find myself plummeting on the roller coaster of life and find myself into a place of uncertainty. And in that place of uncertainty, like joy's gone. I find myself deeply anxious. I'm not talking about living with anxiety. Can I just be clear on that one? Just because I know for some of us, we live day in, day out, battling with anxiety like I'm not I'm not saying it's that like for you if you're living that way I'd encourage you to listen to Mike's talk a couple of weeks ago which is how do we know joy in suffering 
because that will do you good. But for this moment, I'm, no, I'm talking about when I kind of allow the circumstances around me to suddenly engulf me and I become anxious and more anxious about it. And what I find is it leads me to this place of all I can see are the circumstances and joy dissipates. So you've got created, got my circumstances. What about like those moments where it's distortions? Like what do I mean by that? Well, it's where we take something good that God's created and then distort it to become something that is about us. To feed the deep desires that we have. And that could be in respect to relationships, sex, influence, achievement, food and drink, experiences. And what we find is the pursuit of those things increasingly becomes destructive not only to us but to others. See, I found, and I think what the prophet's pointing us to is this, that if we go after seeking these things to be the source of our joy, we will find ourselves at best deeply unsatisfied as we discover that they're momentary suppliers of joy. But I would say at worst, we find them as places that bring destruction and destructive patterns of life to us and to others that ultimately cause us to know shame and despair. What do you find yourself looking to? What do you find yourself looking to at the moment that is just not gonna satisfy? Is never gonna be the joy giver that you're looking for, that you're longing for. Like I've said, some of the stuff I have to watch out for. But what about you? That's uncomfortable, isn't it? Was uncomfortable because I don't want myself and I don't want you to kind of camp out in that place where we're looking to things that are never going to satisfy. C.S. Lewis kind of writes this in uh, his preach or essay that you can read online called The Weight of Glory. In actual fact, I'd encourage you to read it. Like, jump on the chat now because you're going to find a link there that like shares like where you can read this. But he says this, we are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Man, that's like offensive, isn't it? Because you kind of think, well, sorry, I don't think I'm playing with mud pies. Like I'm, I'm way better than that. But I think what C.S. Lewis is trying to get us to see is if we've got the source of infinite joy at our fingertips, like why are we looking to anything else? Like he really is that good. That's what we're talking about with Jesus. Like the prophet says like, There's stuff that you can look to that is never going to satisfy, but there's one that you can look to who will always satisfy. Like The looking to the one who will always satisfy, satisfy is Jesus. 
and he really is that good. In actual fact, I think he definitely gets a very good. See, Jesus promises us now in this moment, in the present, to know the deep, satisfying joy of relationship with God. Like, we get to know that we are loved in a way more than we could ask or imagine. Loved by a being who is love. Nothing other than love within them. God, Father, Son, Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul kind of tries to pen out, well, what does that love look like? He says, well, it's a love that is patient, kind, protecting, trusting, hope-giving, persevering, forgiving. It delights in, it's humble, it's unselfish, and it's full of goodness. Like we're caught up in this relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that is all about love. But we get to love, know that we're more loved than we could dare to believe. And that invitation to live, knowing in this moment that we're loved like that, is one where it's, we get to increase our understanding, our revelation of it daily. It isn't like we get to this point and think, got that one down. Yeah, it's like this, I've got it in a box. No, no, this is an eternal being who is all love that we get to explore and know that love daily in increasing measures so I can look back and say, do you know what? I know God loves me more than I did 12 months ago. (laughs) And that brings joy. But it's not only in relationship with God, it's also in that joy of knowing that we're accepted and delighted in. Like, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, God, the creator and founder of everything, like accepts you and accepts me. Causes me, causes you to live knowing we have nothing to prove. Like, imagine that. Like every day you get up and look in the mirror and think, I've got nothing to prove. You leave your front door and think, I've got nothing to prove. Like, doesn't that bring joy? Like in any context, I can come, you know, me sat here in a moment, looking slightly odd in front of a camera with people around me looking at me. I kind of sit here knowing I've got nothing to prove. Like that brings joy. I'm just talking about the present. You see, as C.S. Lewis points us to, it's also about the future. C.S. Lewis says this in that essay, it's so good. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we, trust, uh, if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they're mistaken for the things itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. They're not the thing itself. They're only the scent of a flower we've not found. The echo of a tune we've not heard. News from a country we have not ever visited. See, the reality is this. In following Jesus, he promises that joy in the now, in the present, through relationship with God and his love for us. The acceptance that says, I have nothing to prove, but also a future destiny. And I think we kind of lose sight of that sometimes. Like Jesus says, one day we will be with him forever in a new birth, recreated 
universe. And I wonder if sometimes we kind of settle for, oh, that, that's going to be like a little bit better than now. Or maybe we think like the best this has to offer, this life now, is as good as it's going to get. And yet the good news and the wonder of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he calls you and me into is the best is always yet to come. That we have a future that means death itself isn't the end. Rather, it becomes this moment where we get to enter into the fullness of what Jesus prepared for us. Where even the best that this world has to offer becomes like a shadow of what is to come. It's like what we get to see in this moment is in black and white, where one day we'll see in technicolor. Like, we, do we believe that? Do we live in that? Because I can promise you, the more and more we gaze into that future, it brings us deep joy now. You see, that future that we have is one we're told through Scripture, where we will be fully known and know God. Where we will be embraced and celebrated. Where we will dwell in a place of immeasurable beauty and goodness and will be fully whole. A future that is filled with joy that causes us to know joy now. Can I encourage us? Let's not allow ourselves to get looking so much at this world that we forget that we're caught up into a future that is beyond description because of how good it is. Let's not look to things that will not satisfy. Rather, let's look to the one who truly satisfies. See, we don't have to do this by ourselves. See, the wonder is that we get help to stay focused. See, God himself wants to help you and I to stay focused on Jesus as our source for joy. So in Jude 24, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. God is committed to you and to me ensuring that we come into his presence fully right, filled with joy. Can I also say let's ensure that we have help staying focused by just daily receiving this invitation of Isaiah, of daily saying, today I'm not going to come and Look at stuff that I know is not going to satisfy. Rather, today I come, Jesus, and hear your invitation and receive it afresh today that only you can satisfy. And then we've got each other. That we're not alone. We get to spur one another on to say, come on, don't get satisfied there. Get your sight drawn to him. He's so good. I just wonder whether sometimes we hold back encouraging one another with how good Jesus is. There's this weird thing, partly because we're in the culture and society we're in, and part of it is because none of us ever want to be labelled as super spiritual. Like, that's like, no way. Like, we're too cool for that. The fact I've used the word cool shows how cool I am. But I just wonder whether, like, the whole point is that what we've got is so good. And maybe we need to not worry about what other people might think, because remember, we've got nothing to prove. And rather, we get to stimulate and encourage one another that what we've got is so good. 
So in a moment, we're going to get to sing in response. But before we get there, I just want to say, how do we deal with that threat to joy? And we're going to do this through the song. I'd say, firstly, let's do a reality check. Like, if we're honest, what's going on? Where are we looking for joy at the moment? And let's recognize, secondly, like, what is it we're looking to that isn't Jesus? And then having recognized, let's then repent. Let's say, I'm going to turn away from where I was looking to look to you, Jesus. And then let's look fourthly to refocus and say, Jesus, I want you to be the source of joy. And I take in everything of what you provide in this moment now and everything you will provide in my future. And then lastly, we then just get to enjoy it. Enjoy it.